Welcome to the Legal Weekly Wine, brought to you by Tarani Law LLC, because you never need a lawyer till you do. We are Friday, um, January 13th, and we are hitting the hottest legal topics in the U.S. We have two lined up for you today, and we're doing it during happy hour because it is the Legal Weekly Wine, so we're also going to be drinking some wine. But our two topics, so you know from the very beginning and don't stop listening, the first we're going to hit is the civil lawsuit that was just filed against President Trump, um, ex-President Trump. So we're going to hit that lawsuit because it is a wrongful death lawsuit. And that's the kind of work that we do is Mm -hmm. personal injury law, um, even wrongful death claims Mm -hmm. for civil cases. And it's extremely interesting. Um, We've been waiting two years to see if it would happen. It finally happened. We want to break it down for you exactly what it means, what would have to be proved, and, you know, talk about the difference of this is not a criminal case. But it's still equally as fascinating. So that's topic one. Topic two. Topic two that is hot this week is the Richneck Elementary School shooting um, in Newport News, Virginia. That's where a six-year-old has um, shot or did shoot a teacher this last week, um, a week ago, actually. Mm -hmm. And what the implications are, what can happen to the parents, to the child in the court system. And this one's particularly interesting to me because I actually- there. I lived and worked in Newport News. I actually worked for the prosecutor's office in Newport News while I was there. So this one hits home for me. And I think I have a little extra- Insight. Information and insight um, than a lot of people do. So I'm happy and excited to hit these mm-hmm. two topics, but those are the two. We're going to hit both kind of equally and go from there. Let's get into it. All right. So first things first, our wine. I am really excited about our wine Me today. Me too. I'm pumped. <laughs> <laughs> we have um, brought a wine called 19 Crimes. Um, Hopefully you can see that with a picture of a convict on it. Um, It is a Cabernet Sauvignon, which I love cabs. So I'm very, I'm interested to see how this tastes, but honestly, we bought it for the, the label. It's so cute. It is cute in terms of there's a convict on it. I mean, we know what my type in men is, obviously. Yes. Yes. Um, So that's Chelsea's interest in the wine. It's, it's a fun wine. It's, it's based on the move, um, the transportation, so to speak, of criminals from England mm-hmm. to Australia. And oh. what it says is that um, 19 crimes turned convicts into colonists. Upon conviction, British rogues, guilty of at least one of the 19 crimes, were sentenced to live in Australia rather than death. So that's right. (laughs) Punishment by transportation um, beginning in 1788. um, And that's what this is based on. Allegedly, you can um, actually look up each bottle uh, and they're going to tell you about a a convict. Um, I am not doing that at the current moment, but that's the allegation. And maybe or maybe not. It's true. You'll have to take a look. We'll attempt to do it and maybe put that attempt on our TikTok. And we'll see how that goes. And and maybe I'm wrong, but it's at least download our Living Wine Labels app at Talking Bottles. So yeah, we'll we'll see. Chelsea's going to try it afterwards. But in any case, that's the wine that we're trying. It is a red. Um, I'm going to take a sip and let's let's do cheers cheers to the episode. And wine. 
I did my big gulp, but that's delicious. You did, yes. Chelsea always does the big gulp that we can hear. It Look, is. It's very smooth. That's way smoother than I expected. That's really nice. It is. It's not heavy. Um, I like that. Yeah, it's very light. Especially for Chelsea, you like the the whiter wines? Usually. Or the white wines. I guess there's not a whiter wine, but the white wines. Like the sweeter. I think I gravitate towards sweeter wines, but I actually really like that. Yeah. Look at me. I'm growing up, expanding my palate. You are. I'm so proud of you. Yeah, I I like it too. I think, again, we're not wine connoisseurs, as you know from watching us. We really aren't. But we know what we do and don't like, and this one I'm, I'm pretty... I'm surprised. I was a little nervous about it being a cab, but I really like it. It is not as heavy a cab um, as a lot of the ones that that I I taste normally, which isn't a bad thing. Yeah, no. It's easy to drink. Look at that. Yeah, maybe a little (laughs) too easy. We're going to see about that. But that is our wine. Join us with whatever wine you have. Let's make this an interesting happy hour, and let's get down to... Former President Trump. It has been an interesting week, legally. Yes, Um, it really has. It's my first week back in classes, so I'm going to let you take the lead. Tell me what's been going on. All right, so on January 5th, um, two years but a day from the date of the Capitol riots on January 6th, 2020, Mm -hmm. a lawsuit dropped in U.S. federal court in D.C., Mm -hmm. and it is a civil lawsuit against three people. Okay. One of whom, the the big one, of course, is From, Trump. Yeah. Um, but it's against Trump. And let me make sure I say the names as correctly as possible because I don't have um, the pronunciation. But it's against Julian Cotter and George Tanios or Tanios. I'm okay. not sure the pronunciation. So it's against three defendants, those two individuals, mm-hmm. as well as Trump in his own capacity. Um, as an individual. And this lawsuit has been brought by Sandra Garza as the representative of the estate of Officer Brian Sicknick. So is that his wife or kid or wife? It's not. It's his girlfriend. Um, Can can you do that? (laughs) Um, Well, you can for the estate. Okay. Um, she's not actually bringing it in her own name. So like not the loss of companionship type of claim. Correct. Okay. Because that is usually um, something that can only be done by a spouse, a child, okay. um, someone in the direct familial link. But she has brought it as the estate of Brian Sicknick. Okay. That makes sense. Against these three individuals. And she can do that because she's the representative. So when... Officer Sicknick passed away. There's someone who's appointed as the representative of the estate who goes through probate, um, that sort of thing. And she is the personal representative um, of his estate. So she, as the actual person who's Mm -hmm. still alive, has brought it. But it is technically, as I understand it, I haven't seen the complaint. I've seen portions of the complaint in news articles, but I have not seen the actual complaint. But to the best of my knowledge of rules and federal rules, it should be listed something to the effect of Sandra Garza as the representative Mm -hmm. of the estate of Officer Brian Sicknick or Officer Brian Sicknick through by and through his representative, Sandra Garza. One of those two um, types of listings is probably how the complaint reads versus and then each of these three would be listed as defendants so it's okay 
So the estate is suing former President Trump Mm -hmm. and two other defendants. Um, And and sort of what are they alleging in this suit? The allegations, there are um, three different allegations from what I can read. And again, I haven't been able to find the the suit itself. Mm -hmm. So I am going off of different news agencies. And I do want to call out a couple that I'm specifically drawing from. There's one from NPR um, that was done on the 6th, and that's Trump and two rioters are sued over the death of Capitol Police Officer Brian Sicknick. And then there's a BBC article by um, Nadine Youssef. Okay. So I'll put those um, in the... Show notes. Yes. And in the show notes for the podcast and the YouTube um, so that you can find these articles. I'll put the links to those so you can find them. Um, But these are two of the primary ones Mm -hmm. that I've been using. I've looked at others, but those are the primary ones. So this is where I'm getting my information and using the best information and knowledge that I have as an attorney in the area working in D.C., Virginia and Maryland. Now, I do not work in the D.C. federal courts, so I'm going to put that caveat I do work in the D.C. um, courts, the district courts, the superior court for the District of Columbia, but not uh, not the federal court there. But from what I can tell, there are three charges um, or three claims, um, civil claims. Mm -hmm. One is assault, um, which is technically a civil lawsuit. We talked about that all the way back uh, in like our first episode of The Law Unscripted. Exactly. Yeah, we (laughs) have another podcast, The Law Unscripted, where... Truly, our first episode, go back and watch episode one, where we break down the difference between civil and criminal law. And I think that really is important here Mm -hmm. because this isn't a criminal case. These aren't criminal charges against Trump. This is a civil lawsuit. This is not something where he would be found guilty of a crime. Be responsible and then have to pay, right? Right. He is possibly financially responsible if he is found liable, if he's found responsible. Now, re- responsibility could be proved. Okay. Um, and in that way, a lot of people, it, I'm not going either way. This is not supposed to be no. a political show. But a lot of people would say, oh, there's still justice. That right. in a way, we're almost seeing a repeat of O.J. Simpson, mm-hmm. where O.J. was criminally charged he was found not guilty of that of those charges for killing um, mm-hmm. two people, including his ex-wife. So a lot of people thought, well, no justice no is recourse. served. There's no other recourse. But then a civil lawsuit came. Okay. And it's not the same, but he was found liable. Um, he was found responsible for yeah. the deaths okay. of, of yes. Nicole Brown Simpson and Ronald Goldman. So in a sense, that's what we have here. Now, we don't have criminal charges against Trump. None have ever been filed. But what about the other two defendants? We do have criminal charges against them. Interesting. And And have those been resolved or is that like an ongoing pending charge? At least Cotter's has been resolved. Um, I do have to go back and look at Tanios. I think from what I remember, don't quote me on it, was that he pled to a couple misdemeanors. I think both of them have pled okay. guilty. I know um, Cotter was charged with several felonies. Oh. Tanios, I think, had at least a couple of misdemeanors. Yes. I believe both have pled guilty. I know Cotter has. Yes. He has pled guilty to two federal felonies, maximum of which I think is... I think we talked 20. Up to 20 years. Yes. Um, he was charged. He pled guilty to two counts of assaulting, resisting, or impeding an officer with a dangerous weapon. Oh, um, that, that's interesting. 
Yeah, and that was the the basic facts around yes. these two particular defendants is they are they were co-defendants mm-hmm. even in the criminal trials or oh. the criminal cases. I don't think there were actually any trials. Mm-hmm. It was pleas of guilty. And then Cotter was supposed to be sentenced in December, but I don't believe he actually was, or if he was, it's not being reported on the news stations. Okay. Um, they traveled together to D.C. Okay. on January 6th, and along the way, it appears that they pulled over and bought bear spray and pepper spray. Oh, wow. And one of those containers of pepper spray Cotter used to spray Officer Brian Sicknick in the face during the riots at the barricade. There was a a bike rack barricade that Mm -hmm. had been set up, and he was the one to use um, that container on Officer Sicknick. Okay. So he pled guilty to two counts, two felony counts. So in a way, what, what's happened in this civil suit is the estate of Brian Sicknick has mm-hmm. said, all right, these two individuals right. were the ones who actually came up and physically assaulted me. And I just want to stop real quick to clarify, because you were talking about the basic facts. Yeah. Um, so they drove down or came from wherever, went to the Capitol, ended up spraying the officer in the face. Yes. And then what happened from there, just factually? Yeah, factually. No, 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 no. Don't be sorry. This is why we're talking (laughs) about it. Um, And we're not going to go through all the facts, but at least some of them. Sort of what happened with, I guess, the officer. Yes. um, Because I don't think I'm clear on that. Yeah, Yeah. why is there an estate? (laughs) I think that was kind of. (laughs) An estate is when someone dies. Um, So Officer Sicknick died. Um, That day he appeared to have collapsed in the evening, not at the scene. Not at the scene. Um, Right. So when he left the scene, he collapsed. And by the next day, he he was dead. Oh, my God. It appears that he had two strokes or at least two strokes um, that brought on his death. And the medical examiner has said that technically it was death by natural causes. But according to the news sources, it was... He also said that the events of January 6th played a role in his condition. I mean, I'm not a medical professional, but that mm-hmm. seems a little contradictory. If it's natural, um, I'm a little confused how. Well, there are only so many ways that can be reported on. Oh, is that like the thing where it's on, like it can be like suicide homicide? There's like. Five options. Yes, there are only so many options that you can check off for reporting a death. So sorry. No, don't be. Again, don't be sorry. This is good. These are things I know, but it's so hard to like think about them in context. But yeah, so there's like the manner of death, and then there's the elaboration portion, essentially. Right. The medical portion is medically how did he die versus the manner of death. Right. And the manner of death is usually suicide, homicide, natural causes, or like undetermined. Or okay. undetermined. So those are normally the four that can be clicked. That makes sense. So it makes sense that he didn't check homicide um, because right. it's not necessarily clear that this was an a intentional homicide, homicide, which is why we've got the civil, which makes m- more right? sense to me um, to say that you know when we think about homicide, we think an intentional murder. There has to be an intentional action that resulted in the death, and you know whatever those sort of elements are criminally, but sort of. Civilly, it's usually going to be negligence of some sort. Um, that's why this okay. is key. Because it's like the disregard to sort of... Yes. 
human life essentially, right? Yes. Okay. So the civil side. So they couldn't, they didn't charge him, um, or he didn't plead guilty. Let me say it that way. He didn't yeah. plead guilty to any kind of felony homicide. There's right. no felony manslaughter. But assault. But he pled guilty to felony assault of a okay. law enforcement officer with the deadly weapon. So even the criminal cases yes. didn't show homicide because it's going to be difficult to prove. Yes. Did you intentionally cause another person's death? So when he used pepper spray, was he trying to kill Officer Sicknick? That's so hard to prove especially beyond a reasonable doubt, which is yes. what it would be required for a criminal case. Right. Now let's hop over to the civil case and your actions can have caused someone's death, but not intentionally. That makes a lot of sense to me. And I think, and we, we, I feel like all of these are interrelated. What we're talking about, we talked about sort of the causal links between like in our last week episode of the weekly wine, we talked about Gabby Petito and sort of yes. the causal links, you know, between the police officer's interaction, like a week later, her death. This seems to have even a stronger sort of causal link than that suit. Yeah. And Gabby for Petito, these two defendants, it, for these two defendants, it, you're absolutely right. Because in the Gabby Petito case that her family has also, um, this is a, a woman who died as a result of her boyfriend, essentially mm -hmm. strangling her. But her family has filed a lawsuit against the police department out right. in Utah, alleging that they are responsible for the wrongful death of Gabby Petito based on their actions. On a domestic violence call. Yeah. Right, on a domestic violence call a week, two weeks earlier. So there the causal link is, well, what they did a couple weeks before, how did that cause or contribute to her death? Yeah. Versus, you're right, in this one, there seems to be a very quick causal connection. Right that could be proved of, all right, they spray pepper spray, Cotter sprays right. pepper spray, and within a day- He has two strokes. Officer Sicknick has two strokes and he passes away. Wow. So there's a very quick turnaround. And for a mm -hmm. civil lawsuit, all they have to show is that it was a direct and foreseeable consequence, that that death was a direct and foreseeable consequence mm -hmm. of the actions that they took. Right. So and was it reasonably foreseeable that using this pepper spray on another human being could cause death? Yes. And then, you know, I'll throw it out just because I remember the eggshell mm -hmm. plaintiff you take or the defendant, excuse me. No, it's eggshell plaintiff. Is it plaintiff? Okay. Yes. Did I say it the wrong way? Yes. That you was correct. Right. Why did I look my brain? But You're doing so much better than you think. <laughs> She's doing well. Everybody give Chelsea a <laughs> no. little thumbs up and rounds of applause. <laughs> But the whole, the whole concept behind that is that you take the plaintiff however you find them. Yes. Um, so even sort of if he had some sort of medical history or propensity mm -hmm. to maybe a sensitivity to whatever the, I don't know what, in pepper spray, whatever the ingredients right, the are. the chemicals. Even if they were to demonstrate that as a defense, he had some sort of sensitivity, that it wouldn't really matter, right? Not if ultimately the agent that killed him or the, the pepper spray was a cause of his death, ultimately led to his death. Okay. And this is where you're going to get into a battle of the experts for all three defendants. We're going to come back to I was going to say, that's the one I was kind of saving for last because yeah. these two seem more 
directly related. They are more directly related. The one actually sprayed the pepper spray into Officer Sicknick's face. The other one, at least, was part of the purchase of the mm-hmm. pepper spray. They drove together. There's a question of, is there this conspiratorial link that they were going to be there? Why would you buy pepper spray right before you go to a gathering in D.C.? And was it, do we know if it was the bear spray versus the pepper spray? Because that bear spray is wild. I don't know which one it was. I believe it was the pepper spray, but don't quote me on that. I'm not sure. I mean, I don't really know what the chemical difference would be, but I would be more concerned. Like to me, as someone who knows nothing about the ingredients of these, I would think that I mean, either of those are intended to harm another person. That's the or an animal or a person. Right. Um, when I used to carry pepper spray, I've gotten confiscated so many times and do not anymore. But I carried it with the intention that if I was yeah. going to pull it out of its little thing and use it, it was to harm somebody. Right. And that's the, that's the crux of this case, of a civil case saying, well... The only reason they would buy such a product on that day would be with the intention of using it. Um, have a use except for that. Uh, right. Why else would you buy it? Why else would you buy it that day? This isn't something they already had and carried around for right. months on end and they just happened to pull it out. It was something they brought there. Intentionally. And what the question is, what did they intend to do with the pepper spray? And there is the intentional action of at least Cotter, pulling out the spray and using it on Officer Sicknick. Mm -hmm. And in the civil law, is it reasonably foreseeable that use of that pepper spray not only would cause injury, but could cause death? Right. And then there's the experts. Because (sighs) the experts are going to have to prove within a reasonable degree of medical certainty what the actual cause of his death was. They will have to show what, uh, was it by strokes? Mm -hmm. What brought on the strokes? Was there an underlying medical condition? How exactly was his death caused between the time that he got pepper sprayed or Mm -hmm. sprayed to the time that he died? Okay. And so whether it's a, a bench trial and sort of just a judge or a jury, it's going to be sort of who they find to be most credible um, in that medical testimony, right? Yeah, this is going to be expensive. Well, this that's is... what I was just thinking. That <laughs> it's going to be a, an expensive suit. One of the wildest parts of the law to me is the way we are allowed to, not we as in like I'm doing this, but just like we collectively um, use and utilize experts. It is kind of frustrating because you have this where it comes down that you're, yeah. we know what's going to happen. There's going to be one expert that says, one or more that says it definitely did. The other one's or other ones are going to say it definitely didn't. They're both going to be medically qualified. Yes. And it, to me, just, I have a lot of feelings about this as I do a lot of things, but it makes yeah. it to the point where it's like, they're both getting paid. The both are they all of them. They're pay. all getting paid. They all have all of the qualifications mm-hmm. and it just comes down to like, I mean, who presents better essentially? Who's the most credible? Who would a judge or jury believe right. has the best combination of facts where they all presented the same evidence. Right. Did they all review the same medical records, past medical history mm-hmm. of officer Sicknick? Did they all get the coroner's report, the medical examiner's right. report? Did they all get the information from the hospital where he went when right. he began to, to, to fall and to have illness? Did they get anybody who actually examined him personally? Yes. Right. So I am waiting to see how many experts will be brought in because at at the very least, 
very least, there will be one per side. At the very least, it, the plaintiff will have one. That's a trial if they don't settle before then, right? Oh, they're, they're going to have it even without a trial. Oh, really? These experts in a civil lawsuit will have to be lined up beforehand. Okay. It is extremely doubtful that anyone would even settle because this isn't a plea of guilty. Right. It's, it's a settlement Are they agreement. going to settle? And if so, this kind of lawsuit with these players mm-hmm. would not go farther without having experts who will, the whole crux of this case is causation. Yes. What caused his death? Did these, Trump is going to say these two people caused his death. I had nothing to do with it. Right. I I wasn't there. Freedom of speech. I didn't, well, not even that. It was, I didn't actually physically spray. Yeah. I didn't put the spray in their hands. I didn't buy the spray. I didn't give it to them. I didn't ask them to do this on my behalf. They just did it. I had no communication personally with these people. They did it. I didn't. Okay. So that's his defense. Right. In addition to, and even if I did, he didn't die from the pepper spray. Okay. See, yes. To me, that makes the sense of sort of, especially when you talk about the the two separate defendants of Mm -hmm. saying, that's really all they have to argue is that that didn't cause his death, right? Um, they, I mean, because he pled guilty to, or at least one of them, pled guilty to saying, yes, I assaulted this officer. Yes. And whatever the facts of that, I'd be interesting, interested to see the copy of the plea, plea agreement and sort of what facts they agreed to right. put in that. In um, open public court, yes. there would have been a recital of facts that the defendant was agreeing to, mm-hmm. um, especially Cotter. We know that he did the plea of guilty. So him admitting mm-hmm. in federal court to crimes of assaulting police officers. With a dangerous weapon. or With a right? dangerous weapon okay. <laughs> would be admitted in this yeah. civil case against him. It is virtually impossible for him to say, I had no part in this. I didn't do mm-hmm. this. It would immediately be said to a judge or a jury, here's here's the conviction. Here's right. his plea. He admitted to assaulting Officer Sicknick. He admitted to it. He cannot deny that he did so. Mm-hmm. So his defense will have to be, okay, but that didn't cause his death. And so then the, the second guy is going to say, I might have bought the pepper spray with him. Yes. I might have done that, but I was not the one to like press the button and spray yep. him. And then, so now we get to the like, why this is in the news. Yeah. For, why was former Trump added as a, or I mean, is a defendant to the suit? How is that possible? So what the, the estate is alleging is that the death was a direct and foreseeable consequence mm-hmm. of what Trump was saying. That his words and his actions caused these two people mm-hmm. to go to the Capitol mm-hmm. and to march on the Capitol and to take physical aggressive action against mm-hmm. other people. That it was, we'll go back to reasonable and foreseeable, it was a yeah. reasonable and foreseeable consequence of what he was saying that basically Trump should have foreseen the fact that someone could die. And this is not sort of the first time this thing, I can think of two examples off the top of my head of where this has sort of worked. They're criminal, but have worked in our legal system. You have like the Charles Manson, like the Colt. Yeah. He wasn't there when all of that happened. He wasn't. He was still convicted. You have the more recent one of the girl in Plainsville who essentially they said convinced her boyfriend to commit suicide and she was criminally convicted of his death. So this is not like a new concept in the law, right? It's not a new concept, but 
let's go back to what you're talking mm-hmm. about is criminal. Yes. The civilly and is interesting. That's where everybody's getting hung up is even with this, they're like, yes, finally justice against Trump. This isn't justice in the sense mm-hmm. of a criminal issue. Right. He hasn't been charged criminally with conspiracy. Right. And these are crimes that it wouldn't be necessarily the direct action or aiding or abetting or conspiracy, like con- knowing that your actions, what you did, what you said right. would cause death. Wow. It is civil. Right. Is what you said reasonably and foreseeably, reasonably and foreseeably likely to cause the death? And in this case, mm-hmm. it's a wrongful yes. death. To cause the death of someone of another individual wow. and specifically this. Officer Sicknick. Wow. So that's hard to seems hard to prove to me. Let me think carefully. Like I said, I think there's a lot to be said of just about all of this information and sort of the creative ways people are trying to find justice. Yeah. But that seems like maybe it would be difficult to prove. It will be. Now, it's not as hard as the criminal Oh, cases. for sure. Because you're using like the lower standard, the... Yes. And that lower standard in, for a criminal case for Trump, if he were to be ever be charged criminally, it would most likely be some kind of criminal conspiracy charge um, that he conspired with others or aided and abetted others. And it was foreseeable that this would happen. But that's yeah. that's one of the reasons why this has not happened yet. I have a quick question on that. Yes. And you might not know because I, I don't know the answer. Um, is there not a statute of limitations on that a criminal conspiracy charge like that? You might not know. There, just there are always statutes okay. of limitations on criminal charges. I don't know what they are. It depends on whether they're felonies or misdemeanors. It depends on the jurisdictions. Okay. Usually they're anywhere one to two years. Um, sometimes they're up to five to 10 years, okay, but it gotcha. depends on what he would be charged with. But that's not what's happening here. Right, right, right. Sorry, it took <laughs> us a little off track. <laughs> I was just curious because I'm like, you know, we're getting, I know what the Maryland is the three-year statute on a personal injury. Um, this was filed in DC, but federal, so I'm sure it's different. Yeah, but let's go back. Yeah. Statute of limitations for criminal and civil are different. Yes. Sorry. Right. My, it, it was all going to my point to say, maybe we passed the point criminal can reach it. That was where my brain was. And so I asked a lot of questions around that. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no. And criminal go back. Well, I'll try to put a link to it, but go back to our original discussion on our other podcast about what is the difference between civil and criminal law, because that will explain a yes. lot of what's happening here. For civil law, they are within the statute of limitations. For sure. In D.C., um, they have three years. Three years to file oh, yeah. a civil lawsuit. Now, I forgot to go back and check on the federal statute, but even if it's two years, oh, this They're was the day before, it, yeah. right? Which so makes sense. <laughs> they've met the federal statute of limitations for the, the civil claim. And with this civil claim, all they have to show is that it is more likely than not that it was reasonable and foreseeable that his actions could cause the in death of Officer Sicknick. So that's the question sort of either the judge or the jury will be making it making a decision on? Yes. They will have to determine um, two things. Did Trump's words or actions um, rile up the crowd to the sense that he knew or should have known that it was reasonably foreseeable that what he said would cause violence, which then in in due course would cause the death of someone. So that'll there. sort of be the first 
first bit of it. That will be the first bit. The second bit would be, okay, we say that his actions were likely to cause that. Mm -hmm. So that's a breach of duty. But did they actually cause it? Right. That's the second part. Wow. And the the third part is damages as to what percentage of fault do they assign? How much is Trump's fault? How much is Connor's fault? How much is Tanios's fault? Mm-hmm. And if they determine that all three have some had some responsibility, but they could be like one percent and forty and sixty, right? It could be or fifty nine. Yeah, I mean technically, <laughs> my math is so off there. <laughs> we don't do math; we do law. Clearly, <laughs> but but yeah, it could be that one of them only is found 100% liable, that that person is responsible for the death. Okay. It could be found none of them are because of this causation issue. Yes. Is did, did any of this cause the death of Officer Sickness? And that's where you're going to have the medical experts. I do have a question for medicals. you. Well, kind of, I guess maybe to wrap up or sort of. So that's the medical yeah. experts. If we get to the point where it's not dismissed, where we still have Trump in, um, and we get to the point possibly at a trial where we're saying, okay, pepper spray caused it mm-hmm. that we've decided that I'm not saying that's what's going to happen. I'm just saying, follow right. me if, here. If that were to happen. If that were here. Mm-hmm. Do you think there would be some sort of experts or what the discovery process would be like to say his work, like how would they, pr- I guess, prove that in court saying his words were likely to call cause that part of it who do you think would maybe we ha- would have testify oh or? we would have so <laughs> many witnesses the plaintiff is most likely to call um the defendants themselves because this mm-hmm. is a civil trial yes. you can call the defendant there is no right to remain silent i plead the fifth there's do it. <laughs> you can't do that technically now because trump hasn't been charged criminally right. in theory he could take the stand and say i plead the fifth because, because he's protecting his other criminal rights or criminal. Yeah. Yeah. The rights that he would have in a criminal trial. Um, but technically in a civil case, you can call the defendant. Interesting. Um, you can call all three defendants and you can ask Cotter, why did you do this? You can ask him, did Trump's words play any role in your decision to go down to the Capitol? And at this point, since they're crim- sort of the, the two normal people, defendants their mm-hmm. criminal stuff is over at this point it would be then, their yeah. interest is to either not be found liable at all or reduce yeah. their percentage of liability right oh you have to so, you, you got to defend yourself and say either i wasn't responsible or i was less responsible or someone else was also responsible so would it not be sort of strategic to if they were on the stand we get to this point for them to be like I mean, we did it, but we only did it because of him. Is that not like a strategy point? Oh, it's a great strategy okay. for them. It's a wonderful strategy for them to say, you know what? I did this because of Trump. He said, come down to the Capitol. We're going to save our mm. country. I said, yes, let's go. He gotcha. said, let me find one more statement, and then we're going to swap over Perfect. real quick. Um, there's another statement that's really good for this. Um if you don't fight like hell, you're not going to have a country anymore. Um, so they could be saying, well, I fought. Right. He told me to fight. I went and fought. I got weapons right. to go and fight. And that's exactly what I did because he told me to. And he's my president. Right. Whether or not they sort of said anything different at any point in time, that would be a, a possible legal strategy. Yes. Like I said, 
who knows what they believe, who knows what the truth was. But in the context of this, since their criminal stuff has sort of passed at this point, right. that would be sort of an excellent civil strategy to say, it would be I was so influenced, one. I whatever. Mm-hmm. Okay. It would be a good one. And then they would call other witnesses who were there. Psychologists. Um, psychologists as to the mindset, other people who have pled guilty as to okay. why did they go down? Oh. Or if they can establish that the mass amount of the crowd, or at least a majority or s- portion of the crowd was going based on Trump's word. It, I mean, it's going to be a circus, if whatever. It settle, if it yeah. goes to trial and doesn't settle, this will be a circus. I, I am so fascinated by this case yeah. um, as to what it's doing. So we will give you updates yeah, in the next couple yeah. weeks. But that's the the breakdown. Do go back and watch our mm-hmm. other podcasts as far as breaking down civil versus criminal law. What is negligence as right. to what has to be proved in a civil lawsuit. So you can see kind of what Trump is facing For in sure. a civil lawsuit versus criminal charges. Interesting. Well, thank you. I didn't know anything about that. So. <laughs> My complicated hypotheticals. Thank you for answering. <laughs> <laughs> no, but they're they're true hypotheticals. They're yes. ones that really may happen. And honestly, we could do another four uh, hours on just this topic. And I know yes. we're cutting it short here, but this really is a longer topic that right. could have so many different hypos of what if this happens, what other witnesses oh, yeah. can be called, then you talk how about many experts. What's protected in discovery and all kinds of stuff. Oh my gosh. You, it, the discovery Could alone is, is, is several topics based on presidential yes. immunity. What, where does that play a role in a civil lawsuit? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a whole nother issue. So this is just the basics of what does the civil lawsuit mean? What would they have to prove and where are the catches of would this actually no, work? No, I mean, I think it's in the headlines. It's good to have sort of a basic understanding, and we can always elaborate later. So if you yeah. have questions, let us know. We'll find out what they do next. But that leads us to oh. the other crazy news issue that is extremely legally based. And this one is heartbreaking. It is. Rich Nick Elementary School in Newport News, Virginia, there last Friday, um, as we stated at the beginning, a six-year-old first grader brought a gun into a school, a nine-millimeter Taurus, and shot his teacher in the middle of class. Um, so it's gonna make me cry. It's so sad. <laughs> it is, and I want to pause. I'm gonna lean over for my phone for a reason. My um, so on the personal level and the the sadness portion. Mm-hmm. My cousin um, is a poet. Oh, um, she does a lot of Appalachian poetry. Appalachian, I don't know how you pronounce it, even though I am kind of Appalachian. But You're from Tennessee. Come on. I, right? Yeah, <laughs> but my family is in Virginia. Yeah. Um, my family's in the Shenandoah Valley. Okay. They grew up in the, the mountains. So I my family is there. I am going to try to do this poem justice, um, mm. but I think it's beautiful. I think it's sad. I think it relates at least on the emotional level and where the country is on a gun control issue. We're not going to talk about gun control because that's not the legal issue right now. Um, but hopefully I read this correctly. Send them armed and dangerous, fresh haircut, fast shoes, mommy's gun. Ready for anything, new pencils, Marvel book bag, mommy's gun. Don't forget we love you. Note in the bento box lunch, a folder with the three hole punch, mommy's gun. So that is by Jody Johnson of Virginia. Um, Mm. And I think it is, I think it's very fitting. It is. 
So that's kind of the crux of where we're coming right. from. But legally, yes. the questions surrounding this case are, I think, threefold. Okay. One question is, can anything be done to the six-year-old? Right. Like, what is the culpability of, you of know, like, six-year-old? you know, you have to have the guilty mind. That's something that sort of anybody who watches any court TV knows. You have to yeah. have sort of the intent, the guilty mind. And can a six-year-old really have that? Mm-hmm. So that's one question. Mm -hmm. The second question is what, if anything, can be done or should be done against the parents? So can they be charged or convicted of a crime? And I know it's a different jurisdiction, but we have had parents charged recently when it was, I believe, a high school student. Um, Yes. I was going to say, I wasn't sure if he was middle or high school, but um, yeah, I think he went into a middle school. God, I wish I had, I wish I read up so on this. Sorry. It was so recent He's, where the he parents was a teenager, um, yes. but the parents were both charged, mm-hmm. um, in relation to the school shooting that their, their son committed. Yeah. Um, and so, yes, yeah, so we've had sort of recent, again, not the same jurisdiction, maybe not binding precedent, but precedent. It is at least. Public precedent. Public, right. 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 Is everyone's up in arms of, well, how can this happen? A six-year-old doesn't just happen upon a gun and go and find a gun themselves. Usually this would have to be as a result of a guardian or a parent or some kind of caretaker giving the six-year-old access. So what, if anything, can be done there? And then I think the third question that I haven't seen many people asking but I think is really important legally. Mm-hmm. And maybe this is just because I worked in Newport News. I was a prosecutor right. in Newport News. I was a prosecutor in Virginia. I did juvenile law. Mm-hmm. I did juvenile domestic relations, mm-hmm. which is there's three different courts in Virginia. So for those of you who don't know, it is one of the few commonwealths left in the country. Um, so it's not the state of Virginia. It's the commonwealth, commonwealth. of Virginia. And the Commonwealth of Virginia has three different courts, Mm -hmm. um, basic courts. So there's the general district court, Mm -hmm. which is the lower court um, for misdemeanor crimes, preliminary hearings for felonies, Mm -hmm. civil actions less than $50,000 in value. And then there's the circuit court, which is for felonies Mm -hmm. and for civil actions over $50,000 and some that are injunctions, that sort of thing. Um, Those are the basics. But then there's this third court that's brought in, which is the JDR, the Juvenile Domestic Relations Court. Okay. One of the classes I am taking this week is Virginia Civil Procedure. And we spent a long time talking about this on Tuesday. Look at Very good. Brainwaves. Wonderful, wonderful segue and and timing here. (laughs) Truly. Yeah. It's a Juvenile Domestic Relations Court. And that's the court where all of this should play out. Um, So the question is, what if anything should happen with this family? Yes. And in my mind, based on everything that I know and worked with, with Newport News in particular, with the GDR system, with juveniles, with crimes, and with child abuse and neglect, Mm -hmm. this all goes toward the very strong possibility that the parents and or the child would be brought into what's called a chins petition. 
um, a child in need of services or a child in need of supervision oh, like petition. Yeah, yeah kind of like a Senate in, in Maryland, That's, a child yeah. of, in need of assistance. Most states will have some type of this procedure. But it's where the court will get involved to review the family situation to determine, is this child in need of services? What kind of services would they need? And what do we do about it? So that's the third way to get this family in the court system that isn't necessarily a crime. But I have so many pieces ready to go to read off the laws, um, to tell you more about Newport News in particular. Um, So tell me where you want to start. Okay. And we Um, have about 10 minutes. Great. So I will just throw rapid fire thoughts at you. Take what you'd like. Here are my initial thoughts. Um, Unlike the teenager who committed a shooting, um, what is it? Rep Ipsa? Race Ipsa. Yes, there we go. Okay. That this this thing could not have occurred without some negligence. Um, I would make the argument that a six-year-old doesn't get their hands on a gun without negligence. Like it, the act itself is all the evidence you so need, bad. right? Like that's that what that concept is. That's my first thought immediately as far as civ- civilly responsible. Yes, I don't civil responsibility, that is, that is the phrase that would be used. It would be a civil claim for yes. negligence where let's go back to Trump's issue. Yes. Technically, this teacher, um, this 25-year-old, 24-year-old teacher, um, 25-year-old t- teacher, she would have a civil lawsuit that she could bring right. against the parents yes. of this child saying your negligent behavior, but for your negligent yes. behavior, this six-year-old would not have had a gun and would not have shot, shot me. I would not have been injured, but for your negligent actions. So yes, that's where the race ips a concept would yeah, apply. Yeah, to me, that is like immediately, mm-hmm. um, again, it's like a torts concept. We very, we've only seen once in court. I, um, in all of my 17 years of practice, I swear, this last year, and with Chelsea there, str- I this concept has been used by a judge in one of my cases, and I was floored because I thought it was one of those Latin phrases that you learn for law school, you write on the bar, and you get an extra point on the bar because you remembered that phrase, and you'd never see again. But sure enough, here it is in one of my cases. So yes, this is the place where it also could be Yes, used. it's like what the thing speaks for itself. Look at that. Mm-hmm. Very good. Look at that. Very good. <laughs> How did I... Law school has warped my brain. <laughs> no, um, it's taught you what you need to know so we can look at these things. So that would be my first, like yes. immediately. Um, I do have some experience back in Georgia, sort of working mm-hmm. within um, foster care, family welfare system. I would think there's clearly an issue of not negligence in a civil context, but neglect in a child welfare context. Because again, people who are not neglecting their child don't allow their six-year-old to get their hands on their gun. Well, that's the question, though. And that's the investigation that the Newport News Police Department is having to conduct right now, as well as the Commonwealth's attorney. It's already been referred. Um, It's not called a state's attorney or a district attorney in Virginia. It's called the Commonwealth's attorney's office. That's the prosecutor's office. And it's been referred to them. Howard Gwynn is the Commonwealth's Mm -hmm. attorney there. I worked under him and with him. I was very pleased to do so. Um, Loved him. And I do trust him in his office that they will be reviewing what are the potentials Mm -hmm. for criminal charges. They will be looking over all of the different types of crimes. They will be reviewing the investigation, the investigative reports by the detectives involved Mm -hmm. from the police department to determine what, what was in this home, how was the home set up, what 
safety precautions did the parents have? How did the child get get a hold of a loaded gun? And that's going to be the question that right now nobody's saying yes. because they're still under investigation and not even a FOIA request Mm-mm. will touch it. So this is my question for you because I know it's different in every jurisdiction. So, you, I mean, you've worked in this jurisdiction, yeah. so that's extremely helpful. What is, I know it, again, differs places, sort of the age that you can't, I have personal opinions about children being charged with crimes, period. But what is the age you can charge a child? You can't charge them as an adult. Right, but in a juvenile how they're, I think it's 15. I, I honestly have to look that back up, sadly. Mm-hmm. Um, but in a juvenile context, I will say that the youngest that I saw mm-hmm. um, that was charged with a crime was 12. But what I will also say is the child was immediately sent for a psychological evaluation as to whether they could truly understand and have the capacity Mm -hmm. to commit a crime. It was a, it was almost a, a belief and a presumption that they were not competent, right? Um, not only to commit the crime, but competent to even stand trial. Would they understand what had happened? Would they understand what was happening to them? So in reality, you're not looking at least below 12 right. for actual charges with crimes. And they haven't even put him in the juvenile detention system. Right. That's what I was sort of your expectation based off of what you know. Um, even with all of my strong opinions out the lot about yeah. the law, I wouldn't, I don't think I've really ever read a case about a six year old um, being charged. Cause like you said, competency at trial, yeah. like there's absolutely no way a six year old can truly understand what is happening? It's extremely doubtful. Most of the the reports and the courts and everything usually say, look, there's a certain age and a six-year-old is Mm -hmm. not at that age to truly understand. They're almost assumed, like I said, to be not competent, but in a legal sense, even if they were competent to stand trial, it would be a finding of not guilty by reason of insanity, which is you do not understand what you are doing. That's the legal definition. Right, the, so even if it got what, there. You didn't know what you were doing. Um, the consequences, you under, didn't understand it was wrong at the time you committed the crime. So right. this is my question for you. Mm-hmm. Um, again, speculative, but you, you've worked in this area. What possible charge, criminal charges could be brought against the parents? Yep. Um, and I went and got some. Um, <laughs> the ones that, the one that's being touted in the news, they haven't set a code section, but it's code section, uh, Virginia code section 18.2-56.2, mm-hmm. which is titled allowing access to firearms by children. So that is a, that is a crime. It is a crime that they could be charged wow. with. Um, it should be unlawful for any person to recklessly leave a loaded unsecured firearm in such a manner as to endanger the life and limb of any child under the age of 14. That charge carries a maximum sentence of a year and up to a $2,500 fine. So it's a class one misdemeanor. That's it. That's the one that's being looked at. Um, But there are others that could be charged. The question in my mind that the Commonwealth's office will probably be looking at is 18.2-371.1, abuse and neglect of children. And under that section, under B1, it's any parent, guardian, or other person responsible for the care of a child under the age of 18 whose willful act or omission 
in the care of such child was so gross, wanton, and culpable as to show a reckless disregard for human life. So that doesn't necessarily mean for the child's, you know, for the child's life, um, but as a result of a child's actions Mm -hmm. or the child himself, are there acts or omissions? What, what did lead to this child getting a firearm? Right. And was their act for it or omission to securely, you know, properly secure the weapon? Is this something that was so gross, wanton, and culpable as to be a reckless disregard for human life? And let's put it this way. Yes, the child shot the teacher, but having a loaded firearm in his backpack could just as easily have killed anybody, harmed the child himself, Mm -hmm. have resulted in an accidental shooting of their own child, have resulted in the shooting of multiple people, the child. So in a way, depending on how they find Mm -hmm. the child got access to the firearm, this is a code section I would look into mm-hmm. to charging um, wow. uh, the parents with is what is it? And it it certainly seems that it was gross, wanton, and culpable as a reckless disregard for human life. Right. Did this kid ride the bus? Like who all was at risk during this time? Right. And um, did they know? And if they knew, then, then we get into, you know, if... If, God forbid, they had encouraged the child to do it. I mean, we're looking at extreme criminal charges for conspiracy to, you know, for malicious wounding, conspiracy for unlawful wounding. It doesn't appear at this time in the news that there's something that was encouraged by the parents. But if that were to be true, then we're looking at other felonies. But if it was simply, um, quote unquote, I use that word lightly or not so lightly. Right. Um, if it was simply the provided access right. unknowingly. Or did, did not restrict access, didn't take proper precautions inappropriately owning and right. caring for a handgun. If, I mean, do we know if that gun was, I don't know the gun laws we don't in Virginia. Know. Okay. We know that it was bought legally. That's what my question was. Yeah. We don't know where it was, how it was being used, anything like that, mm-hmm. but we know it was bought legally okay. by the, the mother. Um, but the other thing that they could be brought under is so with that, an abused or neglected child is anyone under the age of 18 um, whose parents or other person responsible creates or inflicts, threatens to create or inflict, or allows to be created or inflicted upon such a child, physical or mental injury, or creates a substantial risk of death, disfigurement, right. or impairment. And that would be, you know, let's take it out of the realm of the teacher and mm-hmm. put it into the realm of the the child. Right. Is this action, did they, by leaving this gun unattended or somehow accessible mm-hmm. to the child, create such a risk of death, disfigurement, or impairment to the child. Oh, for sure. that's where this comes in. So that's another area that they need to be looking at, or I believe they need to be looking into. Wow. And with this Chin's petition, which I think is going to be this other piece where basically social services steps in. Gets involved. And says, this is a child in need of services, and those would be... um, Juvenile whose behavior, conduct, and condition presents or results in a serious threat to the juvenile's well-being and physical safety. A child under the age of 14 whose behavior, conduct, or condition presents or results in a serious threat to the well-being and physical safety of another person. 
There we go. And that's where I see this headed at the very least, is that if it hasn't already been done, it is most likely that in this jurisdiction, um, a Chin's petition will be brought in Juvenile and Domestic Relations mm-hmm. Court. Social services will be involved. Wow. I'm sure they're already involved. There's the court services unit, mm-hmm. which is the basically the probation office like pre- for juveniles. Okay. Um, they will become involved. The Commonwealth's attorneys will wow. become involved. All of these pieces of care will begin to be put in place as this investigation unfolds. Wow. Okay. I have one final question yes. for us to end on. And we're going back to civil. So for full circle, mm-hmm. do you believe the children, so it'll be by the parents, of the children who are in the classroom at the time that the teacher was shot have a civil claim? intentional infliction of emotional distress or some other similar claim in theory they could but practicality practically it it, would they get much no um so practically speaking it is hard to bring just an intentional infliction of emotional distress claim and if they did so what would they really get Um, so they're basically going to be priced out of, can they really show Mm -hmm. that it was intentional infliction first of all, because it would have to be proved intentional, okay, not just accidentally or as a result of clearly it produced harm, right? There's causation of yes. It's kind of opposite of Trump. Let me, let me swap a little bit and throw something different. And obviously I'm just spitballing here and then we can sort of end on these hypotheticals, but could they add the school district or the school to the suit saying that their negligence, that, but for their negligence, a six-year-old would not have been able to get into a classroom with a gun? Yes. Okay. And that is also a possibility of where this is headed. Mm-hmm. Um, the school board, the the teachers, the principals, the director are already out there saying, look, we've reviewed the idea right. of putting more security precautions in the schools, but who would have thought there would be one in the elementary school? Yeah. Do we really need to treat, and one of them I think said, do we need to treat it like a jail of using the security, you know, right. the the detectors and everything else when you're walking into school. So in practicality, there aren't, <laughs> I don't think there are many schools across the nation, though I don't know, yeah. that actually have security when you come into an elementary yes. school. So is there failure to have these security measures, especially in an elementary school? If it's not sort of like standard practice. Right. Was it reasonable for them to have put it in? If everybody was doing it and they didn't, then that would be a really good lawsuit. But just because they didn't have security measures doesn't mean that a lawsuit would win. Okay. It kind of depends on how he got there and would, did he tell anyone on his okay. way? Is there any way someone else would have known other than the normal procedures? Gotcha. And if this was a normal procedure throughout the state or the jurisdiction, then would a civil lawsuit win? Unlikely. Could it be brought? Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I think the most likely civil suit in this kind of case would be against by the teacher Mm -hmm. against the child's parents yeah i think that makes the most sense but i thought i'd you know throw some of my wild hypos at you as i do they're they're interesting and they're possible and that's the thing is as especially as an attorney is you have to think about these Mm -hmm. 
And a lot of people are going to be responding of, oh, it's so litigious. You know, you just make up things and try to come up with them. Well, no, I'm not making them up. It's what is reasonable, what is in the sense that a civil case can provide justice. Mm -hmm. Is there a reasonable means that says they're not responsible? And as a civil plaintiff's attorney, the question is, who is responsible? Is this an accident? Is it something that was caused by the plaintiff themselves? Is it Mm -hmm. something that act of God happened? Or is there another person who is responsible because it was reasonable or foreseeable that the actions they took or didn't take would lead to death? Or injury. Or injury or some kind of other bodily injury. Yeah. Wow. Well, my thoughts are with the teacher and truly this family as well, because I just don't think a six-year-old does something like this without exposure to things that I don't think a six-year-old should be exposed to personally. So my thoughts are Oh, it's traumatic all around. That's what, for the the kids, the the teacher, um, that child in particular, and just, that's where my thoughts are in this um, unfortunate incident. But I I think the legal sort of side of things Mm -hmm. is- is interesting about who may bear some accountability for this. Yeah. And I think that's the best way to say it is the accountability. Mm-hmm. So in talking about that, everybody, thanks for joining us. Yes. Hope you had an, as happy a happy hour as I know this can we be. We ended super heavy. Um, but yes, our thoughts are, are with the families. Um, thank you, Chelsea, for that. And um, if you're enjoying what you see, like, subscribe, yeah. um, rate us, click us, comment. Yes, um, let us know a what comment. you think. Let us know your thoughts. Give us questions. If we need to do a follow-up, I mean, God knows the the headlines are every week and we're trying to keep on top of them. But these are really hot topics right now, which is the whole point of the Legal Weekly Wine. Yes. Well, thank you for sort of spearheading that while I had my first week of classes and filling me in. Um, But yeah, so thanks for being here and Mm -hmm. telling us about it. If you have questions, again, like, comment, subscribe. And I think that's it for this week. All right. And this was brought to you by Tarani Law LLC, because you never need a lawyer till you do.